my apartment has notoriously bad cell reception. I got a call while I was in my hallway and I'm frantic. I'm like, oh my God, like running, trying to get to my apartment door. And the call goes out like three times and I was the one to call them back. In hindsight, I'm like, has there ever been in the history of Rhodes Scholarship, a recipient, the one to call the Rhodes Selection Committee back to get their results? This is Francesca from the Smart Growth Rocket Podcast by TopClassEdge.com. More people than ever are making big leaps to their goals, carving their own paths, and being really successful in the process. And on this show, I talk to these bright, shiny, successful professionals and entrepreneurs to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so we can all be happier and wealthier. I am so excited because today I have Iago, Iago Patton here today. Iago, you're a U of T student. You're an art historian in training, according to your LinkedIn profile. You're also the president of the History of Art Students Association and now a Rhodes Scholar. Am I missing anything else here? No, I believe that you got everything. I'm also a research assistant to <laughs> Professor Reed Lachlan at um, St. Mike's. That's in there as well. What kind of research are you covering, if I'm allowed to ask and if you're allowed to disclose? Yeah. Yeah, so right now I'm doing a little bit of research on Emily Carr, and it's still within that art historical sphere, but it's in connection to the calls to action for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So I'm kind of bridging those two there. Very cool. So how did it feel when you heard that you were one of only 11 Canadian recipients of this distinguished academic scholarship, the Rhodes Scholarship? You know what? It still doesn't feel real. Through the entire process from when I started my preliminary application in, gosh, it might have been May. Um, So it's been a really long process in itself. But through all of the interviews and the checkpoint applications and whatnot, I've kind of felt very detached from it in just a self-preservation way, right? (laughs) I I didn't want to get too attached to this idea of the Rhodes Scholarship because I knew how selective and how hard it would be to actually get to the interview process if I were to get to the interview process. So it was it was very much a, a self-preservation thing. And um, <laughs> I didn't want to get too caught up on the entire thing because it's, it's a huge, huge deal to even be selected for an interview. So in that regard, it still hasn't hit me. I, I submitted my applications about two weeks ago or whatnot. So I feel like until I get those confirmations, it will feel real finally. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Did you get a, how did it uh, work? So did you get an email saying, oh, hey, you got it. Was it a phone call? I know that's a little old school. No, it was a phone call actually. So I did my interview. It's a whole weekend process. So you have like the reception dinner where you meet the other scholar or the scholar elects, well, potential scholar elects. And then you have your interview the following morning. So it's, it's very like short, but very intense. Um, and I found out within 24 hours of of having that first meeting with the selection committee at that reception dinner. So it was all very much like a whirlwind of emotions and everything that was going on at the time. And yeah, they they gave me the a time frame of like 12 to 8 p.m. where I would get this phone call giving me the results. Oh my gosh. Regardless of the outcome. And I was waiting the entire day and it was like excruciating. Right? And um, by 7.55 PM, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I had, I was going for dinner with my friends. So I was like, I'm just going to go out. And if I get a call, I don't know why, you know, like you always, in my mind, at least I thought that they would call the, uh, 
recipients first. So I was like, okay, well, it's 7 p.m. They're, you know, I didn't get it, obviously. So I was like, yeah, it's trying to, you know, bring down the the emotion, emotional toll of that. And I was walking out of my apartment into my hallway and my apartment has notoriously bad cell reception. Okay. So they, I got a call while I was in my hallway and I'm frantic. I'm like, oh my God, like running, trying to get to my apartment door. And the call goes out like three times and I was the one to call them back. <laughs> <laughs> In hindsight, I'm like, has there ever been in the history of Rhodes Scholarship a recipient, the one to call the Rhodes Selection Committee back to get their results? Or that's just me being clumsy in like every aspect of my life. Yeah, I thought it was really, really funny. So yeah, I, I called them back and they told me I was on speakerphone and that's when I, I knew. So it was kind of like a, a blackout within those two minutes. Within that two minute phone call. But yeah, it's been um, a really crazy experience to say the least. That makes for a fun story though. I mean, that's hilarious, mm-hmm. but it turned out okay. But how did it your, okay. <laughs> it turned out okay. How did your parents react? I can only imagine. Were they, were they absolutely thrilled? Were you more excited? Were they more excited? My mom was the first person I called after um, I got the phone call, like immediately afterwards. And I told her and she started crying and she was like, if you're joking, I'm going to kill you. And I was like, why would I joke about that? Oh my God. She's been, she was one of the only people that knew that I was actually applying and that I got through all these different stages. And she's been the first, like kind of my number one cheerleader through all of this. So I'm really grateful for her. And so I, of course, I wanted her to be the first one to know. So yeah, um, I mean, I think mother-daughter relationships are really um, something special. And uh, yeah. I, I love my mom. So we we have that connection that way. So I, I really wanted her to be the first one to know. And she was, yeah, over the moon. Oh, I can only imagine. So speaking of the application process, you mentioned it, you started it in, in May. But oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what was the process like? Did you have to submit a bunch of paperwork? Was it, did you have to pre- present a portfolio of work? Yeah, so... You know, it's a funny thing because I've always been aware of the Rhodes Scholarship. So a year before I was kind of looking into, that's when I started really seriously looking into postgraduate studies, um, post-undergraduate studies. And um, I Oxford was always this kind of untouchable thing. I've It was always been a dream school of mine since I was in high school. And I never really let anybody know that because it felt so out of reach. Yeah. Um, and a few months, maybe a month or so, I was in the middle of um, submitting all my like final essays and stuff of my third year. And I got an email about like the Rhodes Scholarship. And I was like, oh, let me like look into a little bit. Like I, you know, you're always, if you're in academia, you're aware of what the Rhodes Scholarship is. And yeah. I, I looked through the, the requirements and it said I needed X amount of, it was like six reference letters. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know. Okay, can I get like six people to vouch for me? Like, especially <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic, I was like, I, all my classes have been oh my on. Gosh. So, I, you know, I, of course I I have uh, quite a few connections in like the faculty and stuff and quite a uh, b- few of the art history faculty know me but I was like I you know it's very much uh, like a colleague based relationship that I have with a lot because right you know, again a lot of the the work has been online the last few years and then I got an email from Victoria College really pushing me to apply to the Rhodes Scholarship and I was like okay you know what if I send an email back saying yes I'm going to do this and I have to do it. There's no going back. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do, I'm going to put together my application and I'm going to send that off. And I did. And that kind of snowballed into going through all this. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to. You said yes. So it's official. 
Yeah, it's official. <laughs> I have to do it. If I say yes, I'm going to do something, then I, I follow through. It's out there in the ether now. Exactly, exactly. And speaking of being out there in the ether, I mean, you're also the president, as I mentioned earlier, the president of the mm-hmm. History of Art Students Association. And I took a look, you have volume five out of your annual symposium journal, and yeah. it's centered around Lost in a Reverie. Yeah, uh, that was our symposium theme this last year. Oh my God, it was my first time actually heading the editing of the journal and running the symposium. So that theme and that um, journal is really special to me. I wanted something that was fun, was light, could really bring together a lot of different aspects of art history. So you know, when you think of Lost and Reverly, at least for myself, I think of escapism, mythology, mm. things of that nature, a lot of surrealist works. We had a, a, a really great paper on surrealism for that journal. We also had a really cool paper on Lady Gaga's meat dress, which is really interesting. Yeah. And mm. I don't know that. Uh, within like consumer culture and uh, animal rights activism. It was really cool. cool. Yeah. So that was a really like fantastic experience. And this year, our symposium theme is when worlds end. So I wanted something that was completely different. I feel like that's scary. A complete 180, right? I I wanted something that was like a little bit dark, a little bit, uh, something that was completely different, complete 180s. I I think it's even going to be better than last year's symposium. When worlds end, is that is that a dystopian sort of angle? Or, a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it opens up a lot of neat conversations about what depictions of endings could be. So mm. yeah, like internal endings. Um, so I think of like Van Gogh, who is kind of really distraught you know, so a lot of his stuff really reflects mental health. There's a lot of like war artists that were really uh, entrenched in war iconography. So there's that element, but also you could look to like Pompeii. Um, yeah, that, there's a lot of different things that are uh, that could like really associate with that. When we put out a theme, it's very broad, so it can kind of encompass a lot of different ideas and um, visions for our authors and also for like a, a keynote speaker. So it's a thread that goes through the uh, symposium. We don't want to be so direct the creative aspect right exactly yeah <laughs> art historians at the end of the day uh, exactly <laughs> And then on that note, is was there anything in your background, maybe growing up, something like that, that led you to think, you know, I really want to do art history? Yeah, I really loved art in high school. I loved going to art class. That was like my, it wasn't even a class for me. It was kind of like a break period. Um, I just enjoyed it. And I loved my history class. Um, I went back to Montreal this this past winter, this um, past holiday break, and I met up with a lot of the faculty at my high school. And it was so nice Aww. to just see everybody again. And yeah, I it just really reminded me of how pivotal like high school was in figuring out what or not figuring out but kind of putting those seeds there of what I would go on to study in CJA and CJA really was like the turning point I took one art history class as an elective we graduate in grade 11 and then we go to CJA for two years depending on what your program is I was studying psychology in CJA which completely different than what I'm doing now (laughs) but um yeah I took an art history class as an elective and the first art history class I was like oh my god I can merge these two subjects that I love so much that's I didn't even occur to me that art history was a discipline that's so cool right yeah so I was like okay I'm this is I'm gonna do this 
this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to. I'm going to finish this degree because I have to, but <laughs> when I apply to, to university, this is, this is what I'm going to put everything into. Oh, goodness. Speaking of pivots, I'm going to pivot a little bit here. This is a question that somebody asked me a, a while ago, and I don't know why. I just love the question, so I'm going to ask it to you. What is your favorite building at U of T, and is it Robarts? <laughs> so I really love Brutalist arch- architecture, but it's <laughs> it's not. Okay. I, I really love Old Vic. Yeah. Okay. I love a lot of the buildings on on Victoria College, specifically Old Vic and Emmanuel. Yeah. And I guess in that vein, what has been one of your favorite experiences as a U of T student? The last year has been really incredible just working in the art history department. I mean, being, you know, working on HASA has been, I feel like it's like my little baby. I really love putting on all these events for students and also just working with my team. I have an incredible team this year that I, we get along so well and like, are we can bounce ideas off each other and it just everything that comes out of our meetings have been just I think incredible and um, that's why I'm really excited for our symposium this year as well and all the events that we're going to put on this semester working on the student association and meeting a lot of undergraduate students uh, especially this past semester because it was really the first semester that we've had all of our events in person and yeah and especially like I'm in the office all the time here so I see people walk by and they'll stop and they'll say hi so it's just you know having that that connection with the people here is has been um, my favorite thing about being a student at U of T. Oh, and do you think that you'll miss that? I mean, you're in fourth year, you're graduating soon. Oh, so yeah, coming up. So much. Oh, are you feeling I'm more so... excited, more sad, something else? I'm like feeling all the emotions all at once. Oh my god! But also at the same time, like it still hasn't hit me that I'm graduating. Mm. I think with like the last week of classes is really going to be <laughs> that moment where I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, this is this is a new chapter that I'm going to be opening. And after that, you have your sights set on Oxford, Oxford University, of course. And I I saw somewhere anyway online that you're you'll be focusing or you're intending to focus on the imaging of North American Indigenous peoples in the Netherlandish art canon. So mm-hmm. so what does that mean to to you? And just in general, could you give us some some details on that? Throughout my undergraduate degree here, I of course I've focused on art history, but I've really fell in love with Netherlandish art. So that's like the art of the fifteenth the 17th century like netherlandish area it's netherland netherlandish because the netherlands weren't like a unified country at that time so it kind right. of includes belgium you know luxembourg like parts of france so there's like a whole conglomeration of like different regions in that time and that's what i fell in love with like rembrandt i really love the dutch golden age but i love van eyck you know there's peter bruegel there's like so many different artists i just love and i think netherlandish art has such a rich history that right now is seeing like a revival in the scholarship in part by my professor here uh, professor ethan matt Kabler, who has i've really seen as a mentor throughout my undergraduate degree and with that there still needs a lot of work specifically from Indigenous art historians within the art history discipline at large, uh, because I didn't have any models of Indigenous scholars, but specifically Indigenous art historians until this past year. Uh, we do have a faculty member who is a, an Indigenous person, which is great, but they've only been hired within the last year, I believe. Oh. So, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And specifically, there's because the Netherlands were such a large colonial power. I understand. <laughs> 
um, <laughs> there there needs to be a, a reconstruction or a reorganizing, a relooking at that history specifically and where Indigenous imaging and art objects have been incorporated in that history. So that's what I'm interested in and, and specifically in the collecting aspect of it and that trade aspect of it where these objects going to and where are they circulating and what are they what are artists producing when looking at them so that's kind of the general field that I'm interested for a thesis uh, but broadly I just I really love Netherlandish art so that's the kind of the field that I really want to go into I'm not trying to pigeon my hole myself into a specific subject and I think sometimes as academics we can do that when there's a lot of identity politics, right? So yeah, no, I understand. I've been thinking about now, and I'm very conscious of it. But that's more very broadly what <laughs> what I'm interested in. And the last question I'll ask you today: If you could go back in time to your younger self, say your your teen self in your teen years, what advice would you give yourself? I would say that everything is gonna work out. Um, I was a, I think you know everybody when they're teenagers are a little bit messy, but oh, I. Yeah. I have, a lot of ups and downs as a teenager. <laughs> Sometimes it felt like the world was ending a lot of the time. If it was like every other week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I had, yeah, I really, same. like, I had, yeah, right. I had no, uh, not no direction, but not a clear idea as much as many teens do. You know, you have no idea what you're going to be doing in five years. People ask your five year plan, and you're like, what is that? I know, don't even know what I'm doing next year. <laughs> All right. So I, I would just say that everything is going to be okay. That's everything is going to be okay. That's very comforting to hear. And I myself experienced this. You've experienced this. This sounds like something that maybe is universal across so many, or at least happens to a lot of teens where we don't know what next year is going to look like five years yeah. from now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like so. I have no idea what next year is going to look like. And we that's something that I need to keep on constantly telling myself is everything is going to work out if you put in the effort. Exactly. Exactly. No, I love that message and that's perfect. So thank you so much, Iago. Thank you for speaking with us and for taking the time to share your insights. If anyone wanted to either connect with you or just to learn more about what you do and your experiences about HASA, where can they find that information? Yeah, I have my website, which is yagopatna.com. So it's I-A-K-O-P-A-T-T-O-N.com. Or I have my Instagram, which is also yagopatna, I-A-K-O-P-A-T-T-O-N. And you can message me there or send me an email through my website. There you go. Incredible. And I'll have all that information in the details or the description. So feel free to take a look there to connect or to learn more about Iago and all the amazing things that she will be doing. Thank you again, Smart Growth Rocket, for tuning in today. And thank you, Iago, again for joining us. Thanks for listening to Smart Growth Rocket. If you feel like you're enjoying these podcasts and that you're benefiting, I would absolutely love your support. Feel free to share, like, comment, or continue listening wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Until next time, to your success. Thank you.